We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast. I'm Pete, joined by Mike. And last night, Lakers got their fifth win in six nights. Had a 21-point lead at halftime. Really fun first shift of the game. They went up big, uh, extended that lead to close the second quarter. Kind of coasted on the way home. It was Spencer Dinwiddie's debut. Another 30-plus assist night, Mike. And just a a lot of... uh, Positive signs as we head into this last game of All-Star break. I know, Mike, you are spending your Valentine's Day in Utah getting in at, as you said, 3.30 in the morning right before the pod. So one more to go before the break. How you doing? How's the team doing? It was a good win last night. I'm doing fine, Pete. Um, shout out to all the lovers out there on Valentine's Day. Uh, mine would be my wife, Annie. Uh, and we did a little Valentine's Day thing before uh, we I left for the game yesterday. And she at least has our three boys uh, to keep her with plenty of love today. Um, I I think the place to start is the just what's new, and that would be the integration of Spencer Dinwiddie um, into this group that otherwise looked pretty cohesive based on what we've seen in February. And the team now being five and one with a chance to close things out, even without LeBron James uh, here in Utah. And Pete, I was I was struck by the fact that Dinwiddie was the lone first sub that came out or that checked in at the six minute mark of the first quarter, kind of like the, you know, the typical sixth man role. Like this is our guy, this is our bench, best, uh, best bench player. And with all of the guys that the Lakers have out and most notably, you know, Jared Vanderbilt, I get it. You know, I, I, I think, you know, Torian Prince is there and he came in a couple minutes later and Jackson Hayes has been terrific now for a couple of weeks. Now uh, it was Christian Wood. They got some minutes as well with how banged up the Lakers are. But Dinwiddie came in and I thought at first just tried to feel the game out and, you know, didn't push anything, kept the ball moving, um, got a couple of assists. He didn't even really take a shot uh, for the first several minutes that he was on the court. But I thought his style just kind of fit right in offensively to what the Lakers were doing. And, you know, that's encouraging. I don't know. I don't know about 30 minutes uh, that he played in his debut. We'll see again as the Lakers start to get some people back. But um, I overall was 
pleased uh, and I guess impressed with the way that Dinwiddie was able to to come right in. And I think he does he does offer something uh, to that second group that is needed. So, uh, what were your first Spencer Dinwiddie impressions, Pete? Yeah, it was very very much a oh we don't have a guy like this. Uh, even that sidestep three he hit on Fournier, that's not a shot that either D'Lo or Austin take really to that that type of level. And so. Dinwiddie's going to be going through a certain degree of, of an adjustment process in that in Brooklyn, he was very – it's funny if you look up the isolation statistics of guys who have used the most ISO possessions. It's like all-star, 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 Spencer Dinwiddie, all-star, all-star. You know, it, it, he was over-asked in Brooklyn in terms of what he was to be doing uh, on the ball. And I very much saw a player trying to fit into his new surroundings, as you said, and – Realize that that's not his role on this Lakers team. And it's going to be a balance. AD had a comment that he's like, I told him, you know, you know, seven assists are great, but I want to see you put the ball on the hoop. That's why, why you're here. There's going to be a little bit of that. But the fact that Dinwiddie has access to that, that he has a seven assist game in him, that's one of the storylines with the team right now, Mike. They're averaging 30 assists per game over their last 15. Just Everybody's getting seven assists, Pete. Exactly. So we're adding another seven assist guy to the team. And if he comes in with that mentality, to me, that's way better than the I'm here to get my buckets type of way of viewing the game. And so adding another guy to that mix, Mike, the offense looks beautiful. And yes, I know we're playing the Pistons, but this has gone back for a minute. And this isn't the first bad team that we've played. We've played a lot of these type of games earlier in the season. And how many of them were we down at halftime? And so the type of win where you're up by 20 at halftime, AD doesn't play in the fourth quarter on the first night of a back-to-back. These are easy type of wins that you can clock without really exerting your stars, Mike. So really excited that we're here. Well, it's kind of the irony about ball movement is that you end up, everybody ends up scoring more and scoring more easily when playing selfish, uh, unselfishly, as opposed to guys going out there and, and just trying to find a way to score on an ISO island. And we saw that, I think, to start this season some. Uh, that had There were permeations of that with last year's group. With one exception in the starting lineup, they were going to try to guard Rui Hachimura with Simone Fentecchio. And yeah. the Lakers were like, go ahead, Rui. Go ahead and ISO his ass on the baseline. And Rui was up to nine points after just a couple minutes like that. Uh, using him as a hammer like that, you know, when if if that's what you're going to do, I thought was great. Uh, and then for the rest of the game, it was really pretty spread as to who was attacking and when. And I know we started with Dinwiddie, but the player whose passing that I enjoyed the most last night was probably Austin Reeves, who has, I don't know if he's turned a corner with the way that he's seeing the floor or if it's evolvement into the five out offense or if it's uh, just the way that defenses are having to focus on Russell on top of LeBron and AD with how hot Russell has been, but Austin has really been dicing guys up um, some this last week. And, and it, he's just, he's fitting this group so well offensively now um, that you don't really know where the attack is coming from uh, Pete anymore. And it's just, it's like a completely different team from the one that we saw even a, a month ago. Yeah. Austin, I think his, his comfort level within five out has improved quite a bit. And so He's been asked to do a couple of new, either newer things or things that are fundamentally a bigger ask on him, where it's like run a unit, but it's not just run a unit. It's also run a unit in a different alignment than the one that you're used to. And so I think that's a lot of what we saw earlier in the year. And now he's, Darvin's been talking about his ability to get downhill. He's being able to get downhill because he's decisive. It's not because he has some, you know, 
great athletic burst or, or physical attribute. It's because he's being decisive and hitting the gaps where they are. But he's able to do that because he knows where they are a lot better than he did a few months ago. But to me, the guy where that level of passing has always been there throughout the year is D'Lo. We'd be remiss to not bring up the great passing of the team and not put D'Lo front and center. He was at the uh, at the helm of a lot of those using hammer uh, or using Rui as a hammer. Uh, D'Lo was the one who was really making that happen. Uh, in in a lot of possessions. And so just his ability to swing the ball, but also hit a shot and just kind of facilitate good offense. Uh, D'Lo and his ability to fit in with Austin and Dinwiddie and all of those guys being able to play on the ball and off of it, just really excited about the potential of the offense. Yeah. So the last six games now, Lakers are five and one and the offense and I, I don't love, as we've talked about throughout the season, I don't love just pinning down this segment of games and talking about offensive rating and defensive rating. It, it, we, can, we can argue this however we want, but uh, I'll, I'll give it to you anyway, and then we can kind of break down where it is and why. Um, so Lakers are fifth in offense, and it's 120 um, is the rating, and then defense is 112, and that is, I want to say, eighth. And, you know, the opponents that they've been playing have been – at least league average like that you know some bad teams some good teams but they're but they've uh, they've had a, a decent potpourri of opponents and I'm I'm thinking now not just for the Utah game but once the Lakers get out of the all-star break and how much the Lakers can just grasp this current style uh, that they have and, and how much they can continue to play with it even amidst some of the injuries that they've had and Pete I don't know that there's anything that's unsustainable um, with it I don't know that they're playing over their heads. I don't know that it's they're victimizing certain teams and in tough back-to-back situations or anything. I don't think any of that's happening. So it does seem pretty sustainable to me. I, I think so too. It's really based on the fundamentals of ball movement and player movement. They've really emphasized not turning the ball over. That's been something they've talked about and you've tangibly seen the results really for as much as we pass the ball, as much as bodies move, players move, they're not turning the ball over very much. Now, part of that, they're I number think- Number one, in that stretch I just talked about, they're number one uh, in turnover percentage. Really? Okay. That's amazing, especially when you're getting 30 plus assists a game. That's a that's a great combination. And I think sort of the, I've used this phrase a few times, but they've been trying to figure out their theory of victory, meaning the we can't predict what's going to happen, but if the Lakers were to win a championship, what would it possibly look like? What were the things that need to happen? What what are they in order to, you know, in order to plausibly project that? And to me, if you can have a great offensive team and Anthony Davis and like a perimeter defender or two, that's a pretty good team. And so you're a lot, a lot of the way there. And Mike, so much of how good our defense is to me is how much LeBron is into the defensive end on that end, or, or how much LeBron is into the defensive end on that night. And so a LeBron and AD on a great offensive with great offensive surrounding talent can either score at a really high level, as we're seeing with the Rui sub uh, into the starting lineup, and that's sort of the way that they can coast. And get to get these easy wins because that's been such a topic between us. Mike is like, well, LeBron's in year twenty-one. You can't expect him to play this blitzing, trapping, scrambling type of defense. But if you give him offensive weapons and you freaking score like on 65 percent of your plays, and you just play kind of a containment, make your jump shots defense, you can get some easy wins without asking him to do everything. You know, you just hit on a key point, and somewhere I wanted to go next. Let's hit it after the break. So one of my goals right now is to eat better, but in the thick of the NBA season, that can be hard to do 
So I recently joined Factor, and Factor is America's number one ready-to-eat meal delivery service to help me do that. They can help you fuel up fast for breakfast, lunch, and dinner with chef-prepared, dietitian approved ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and stay on track for your healthy lifestyle. Choose from 35-plus weekly, flavor-packed, fresh and never-frozen meals that support a healthy lifestyle and meet your meal preferences, all delivered right to your door and ready to eat in two minutes. And you can enjoy the extra convenience at any time of day with an assortment of 55-plus add-ons to suit various preferences and tastes. Head to Factormeals.com slash LakerFilm50 and use code LakerFilm50, all one word, to get 50% off. That's code LakerFilm50 at Factormeals.com slash LakerFilm50 to get 50% off. Anthony Davis. You only had to play 28 minutes against the Pistons because the Lakers were up by double digits for most of the game. And then LeBron started the fourth quarter. In hindsight, I think we realized that was because LeBron knew he wasn't going to play in Utah and figured I might as well see this usher this game out and just make sure no runs are happening. And uh, and he did so hit a couple of extra dagger threes like the Lakers were already up by 14. But, you know, just to get the lead up to 20. And so Anthony Davis got to sit there and rest ahead of the place where he last got his first triple-double of the season, uh, where he had 15, 15, and 11, um, I believe, plus a, plus a bunch of blocks. And Lakers narrowly lost that game when LeBron also didn't play. But, Pete, you were talking about this this formula now, the offense and how it's happening in the ball movement and the, the lack of turnovers. And then Anthony Davis defensively with LeBron stepping up uh, intermittently and then some at least some of the more positional size than the groups that we saw earlier. And I think that Anthony Davis, because he was tasked with such an incredible load defensively and offensively for much of the season, had started to fatigue just a little bit in January. And it, it wasn't like his his numbers necessarily didn't always suffer, but just his his total level of activity, you know, around the rim, on the backboards and things like that. And the Lakers had three days off for the first time. I'm pretty sure all season, it certainly felt like that. I I would have to go back and maybe there was one time um, in November or something, but no games Saturday, Sunday, or Monday. They practiced on Monday. And I thought Anthony Davis looked fresh uh, in the game. And that, that got me to thinking then, okay, the back to back, that's one thing tonight, but then all-star break. And even though he is going to play in the game, that's still, you know, three days off before the game, three days off after the game. And then he can be fresh. He's, I think he can look like this again. And just that alone lifts the defense to such a degree that even without mm-hmm. Vanderbilt there and even without, some, you know, Cam Reddish or Gabe Vincent, it's it's enough. And this is kind of what you I feel like you were hinting at. And that when you add in LeBron being able to see the finish line now, you get better. You get more consistent LeBron energy level um, on defense like you did last year down the stretch run. So. The point that I want to make is the Lakers have weathered the roughest part um, of what the LeBron AD load is going to be um, mm-hmm. by getting to this point. And they're at a much better place than they were last year at the All-Star break. And I think not only have things figured out a little bit more as a team, but the the energy level collectively of LeBron and AD, I think, is it can be shaped up to carry a pretty good load as we continue on until the end of February and March. It's exciting, right? And that ability to start getting wins on in games like this where they're not playing, the Stars aren't playing 38 in 40 minutes. It has – I. there's a bittersweet aspect to watching the team play like this right now, Mike, because I think that it was in some aspects achievable earlier. I will say though the progress on offense – 
just wow. They've made up. I was so sad. Remember how excited I was about the switch to five out earlier? And then I was, you know, watching the beginning of the year. It's like, what are we doing? We've had this pod for like six or seven years. I don't think we've ever had a pod titled Pass the Ball. That's how, and we've had some bad teams during that time, but I don't think there's ever been a like, why are all these zero and one pass possessions, which is, I can't emphasize this enough, the antithesis of good five out basketball. And we're seeing that now. And we're watching, they've made so much progress. This coincides with the lineup change, but it's not the only, this was happening before the lineup change. I just think that the lineup change supercharges this. But the way that there's player movement, ball movement, Delo's orchestrating beautifully, it allows LeBron to make these power cuts off of the ball where it's like, oh, you're worried about D'Lo and Rui on one side and here comes freaking LeBron stampeding on a weak side cut into the paint. There's just a lot of magic within that, Mike, that that's why when you were saying earlier, is this sustainable? If you keep moving the ball, if you keep moving bodies, if you keep with this level of organization, while also I think adding a Dinwiddie component where he can be like, oh, Evan Fournier just switched on to me. I'm going to go into his body and get an and one on this in ways that Austin can do that for sure. And Delo can as well. But just Dinwiddie's at a different level of that. There's just a lot to be excited about with the, with the offense. What did you see from Dinwiddie defensively? And, you know, he's he's six five there. I think there's this idea that there's more on the table there than than maybe what he's shown in times past. But can he hold up well enough on that end, you know, to play the type of minutes and I, you know, again, 30, I think was more because of a mix of guys being out, wanting to see what he sure. can do. And then LeBron and AD not playing their usual minutes, but where, where do you see him fitting in, in that context? Well, I think that he is one of the guys that can play 30 minutes, right. That can totally, that's not an over ask in terms of his capabilities. One of the, this will be a bit of an adventure, I think, for the rest of the year. But we have like four guys on the team who can score either five or 25 points in a game, and you're not surprised. And so I think that the there's going to be a certain level of mix and match on any given night. This guy has it going. This guy doesn't. With respect to Dinwiddie's defense, I'm, I've felt the depictions of his defense have been a little on the optimistic side. That said, he is a properly sized two, right? He's not hes not a huge guy, but he is bigger than Austin and D'Lo and has a greater degree of physicality. There was a play in the third quarter, I believe it was, where it was a transition three, and it went up, and I was watching him, and his first instinct was to box a guy out. Now, he picked up a foul on that, but just the fact that when the shot went up, he didn't just stare at the ball or stare at the basket to see what was going to happen, but his natural reaction was to put a body on somebody. I was like, oh, thank you. We have a guard that looks to do that. And this is something that our other guards will are doing more often, uh, recently especially, but there's – all in all, I'm – I think his his value is more on the offensive end than it is on the yeah. defensive end. But I do think there's value in if you have Austin next to Dinwiddie, you don't have as much of that two small guards that you can go through problem. If it's D'Lo and Dinwiddie, same type of thing. Whereas if it's both D'Lo and Austin, I do think we're going to see that problem more often. And Prince obviously exa- exacerbates that. Yeah. So this this is a good string to pull a little more. Like Russell and Reeves both played 32 minutes and great. You know, like I, I like that. Uh, Reeves was plus 25. D'Lo had a rough, kind of a complicated game. His yeah. first stretch in the like in the first half, or I'm sorry, the second stretch, um, I didn't love, but then he just 
kept burying threes, you know, and kind of like makes up for it. And that's been what, like, he's been so hot. And then he also started to make a couple of nice plays. It, it wasn't his best game, but, but yet and still like he was he had 21 points. He was just fine. Um, and then I'm thinking about Dinwiddie more in the context of Torian Prince, because it, in short, Pete is Dinwiddie an upgrade for some of those minutes that Torian Prince was playing um, on offense. And I think the answer is clearly yes. And then defensively, I don't know that there's a big difference between the two right. of them. Um, you know, like I think Prince is better at certain things defensively, but you just mentioned looking to box somebody out and going to get a rebound. That is not the strength of Torian Prince, who ironically had five rebounds, which is a, a lot for him in this game in his 23 minutes. But it's just like a you I what I want. I don't want to see them playing like all of those guys playing a lot of minutes in this. This is I'm afraid of it too. Yeah, yeah. This is especially in context with once Vanderbilt is available. But I, I feel like Vanderbilt had such a great stretch, and the way that the coaches were talking about him, and like once if he does come back healthy, I think it's he's going to play um, as well he should. And then mm-hmm. that kind of takes care of it, where it becomes a choice between Dinwiddie and Prince. You know, depending on what the lineup is in that kind of in that second unit, how much they're going to play, as opposed to just throw all of them out together like with Austin and D'Lo and then either LeBron or AD and uh, at the expense of Rui. So that, that's all. I, I know we're on the same page, but I, I'd like you to pull the string a little bit more on that and, and kind of what Dinwiddie offers relative to Prince. Well, yeah, no, that, I think that's a great way of framing it because Prince has been that figure where is kind of symbolized the small ball type of groups or, or the smaller groups. And now I think that's likelier to be Dinwiddie. Now Dinwiddie is a better passer than Prince. He's a better ball handler than Prince. He can get a guy in an ISO situation. And if that's Prince on Fournier, he can sometimes get himself a shot. He's got some capability at this, but that's really what Dinwiddie does and why he's in the NBA is to win situations like that. And so I think Prince is enough of an upgrade over Dinwiddie defensively to for it to matter and for there to be some interesting de- decisions. And I think there's going to be some nights where we're like, oh, he should have gone with Prince tonight or should have closed with Rui or this or that guy. But big picture, Mike, we're talking some first w- world problems here where there aren't many teams that can hit the levels of offense that we're just scratching the surface of, but it's been a good 15 games that can also be really nasty on defense. And so the integration of that is if a situation calls for, hey, we don't have enough defense, we don't have enough size on the court, Jared Vanderbilt, knock on wood, comes back and he's healthy. Not a lot of teams that are really good on offense can go to a guy like that. Even a Gabe Vincent is really helpful in that respect. And so I don't know, Mike, like it's, a very strange season, but I'm excited about where we are. So you almost have, yeah, you've got your offensive unit, you've got a defensive unit, and you've got kind of a mix, a tweener uh-huh. mix unit. Yeah, and all of them can be good uh, potentially, right? It's a, it just ends up then being when you pull out the Excel spreadsheet that you keep on all the lineups, you know, which which groups to go to and when. But while they've been experimenting some with that, they've been winning, you know, mm-hmm. and and what. One thing that I want to get to, uh, Pete, and I want to keep talking about this game as well and and maybe preview the Utah game, but I was texting you guys just about the standings. Shocker. I had the standings page up on my, mm-hmm. on my laptop, and we were half half paying attention at least to the box score, and I was catching a clip here or there of Phoenix Sacramento uh, last night. And, you know, the Lakers, even though even while they've been on this good stretch, well, unfortunately, standings wise, so have most of the other teams mm-hmm. um, in the Western Conference. But yet they're like they're right there. In a, in a lot of senses. So uh, let's let's take another break, come back, 
not just preview the Utah game, but I'll, I'll explain a little bit better uh, what I'm talking about with this standing situation. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, let's knock out the standings thought here first, Pete, and then I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts going into this Utah game to see if the Lakers uh, against a a slightly weakened Jazz team from the last time they saw them since they made a couple of trades um, and that were more eye towards the future. So the goal, I think, right now should be to get out of the plan. That that's not something that is a reach. That's not something that is a that is a shocker. And you look at Phoenix with twenty two losses, New Orleans with twenty two losses. They are the five and the six right now. Phoenix just lost Bradley Beal. Uh, New Orleans is playing okay. Uh, the Lakers just took care of them pretty uh, pretty well at home. They've won two games since then. Dallas has 23 losses, and so does Sacramento. Dallas seems to be on the way up after they made their couple of trades, even if they had to mortgage a little bit too much of their future. Um, they got a couple more bigs for Luka to play with, and it seems like it's going fine so far. And then Sacramento, I think, is, is going in a downward direction. Uh, they have lost two in a row. They've won just five of their last 10, and they are they have another about seven games that are mostly brutal um, in terms of what their opponents are. The Lakers are three games back in the loss column. And how do you see this mix right now? How, how do you look at where the Lakers should aim to get to and which of these teams might fall off and how much of that is a focus aside from just they're playing better basketball and these things will shake out as they should? Yeah, no, the conference is in a different place than it was last year. Uh, it was what 45 wins got you the number five seed last season. I don't think that's going to get it done this year in the West. And it's a uh, Gafford going to Dallas, I think is a big move that helps them out quite a bit. Uh, and the Pelicans, I could see being catchable. I could see Phoenix, especially with Beal, Beal being out as being catchable. And I think they have a tougher schedule uh, going forward. Totally agree with you on the Kings. I would, I'd love to get into that top six, Mike. And a couple of the guys in post game uh, were talking about that as being as being a goal. But that's something that I think is attainable. But we're going to have to really play good basketball and pick up some wins. We do have a a, a home he heavy schedule coming up in March, but I we also have some pretty good teams in the mix of that. So I flip that back to you, Mike. What do you think in a different, definitely a different environment than last season? Yeah, so I think that that 
it's important to try and have that as a North Star, um, not just to kind of keep the the day-to-day emphasis on that night's game and what the importance level is. Because if you're already three back in the loss column and you lose to Utah, you know, that every right. single loss becomes looms larger unless one of those teams goes on an actual streak. So I just I like it as it's a it's a carrot that's close enough to chase and can keep the team collectively focused and motivated. Now, if they end up playing about the same level of basketball that they are now and none of these teams cool off and the Lakers do end up in like that seven, eight game. Uh, fine. Like as long as they're playing how they're playing now, right. I, I like the Lakers in a one game situation in most, in, in most of these scenarios, but I, I just want that. I want them to kind of in the way that I was talking about the in season tournament, right? Like if you can get to the one seed and all you have to do to do that is to beat this team tonight, like that, that type of day-to-day motivation, I think is important in an NBA season uh, when there are 82 games and when these guys have so much on their plates. And in the case of tonight's game, when, you know, they play really well, but then land at three in the morning and have to get up and play a Utah team that always plays aggressively against them. What is the way to frame that night's game? And it's one thing, Hey guys, let's keep playing great basketball. It's another to say, Hey, if, if you stay on top of this thing, you can get out of the plan. But you have mm-hmm. to win games like this. And, and so I yeah. that's why I keep kind of making this a point of emphasis, Pete, is because I've just seen so many nights in the NBA where it's it's just hard to find that purpose. And the Lakers have very clear purpose right in front of them. And it's it's within reach, but not if they play with their food too much. And that's part of what seeing this improved basketball with the lineup switch, it's a bit bittersweet because the chance we had a lot of chances to clock some easier wins. There are a lot of games as you go back through our schedule that are like, yep, shouldn't have lost that game. And one of the reasons why Ruby with the starting lineup works, the basis of my argument with that has been rooted in the regular season because Rui is kind of a lot of different things, meaning that yeah. he can kind of guard threes, kind of guard fours, kind of, kind of can kind of guard fives fives in ways where if Torian Prince gets matched up on a box out with Jalen Duran, he's got no shot. But if Rui's got the right angle, the ball bounces the right way, puts his body on him, got much more of a chance to impact that play. And so that along with the power element that he adds on the offensive end, which I love. Alex Reglo, who's a great Twitter follow, he tweeted out, uh, I saw this morning, that 48% of that lineup's shots are coming around the rim. And so that's a massive amount uh, that that's way out of whack with what lineups normally get. Now, they've only played in six games up until this point, but they've got an offensive rating in the 120s. There were a lot of chances, Mike, to get easy wins earlier in the season with these types of groups. And so the fact that we're in this spot again, of having to claw our way out. I just there's a little bit of me that's like this was unnecessary, but I'm glad we're here. Well, Pete, your net ratings, uh, net rating, I was saying net rating, that works too, but your plus minus leader for the Lakers is, drum roll, Rui Hachimura at plus 103 on the season. Number two is D'Lo at 83. And plus minus is always circumstantial. And it's, it's usually like Rui gets the benefit of often playing with LeBron and AD and having resources sort of devoted in other ways. And he's been taking such advantage of it that I have just not understood the argument against playing Rui Moore uh, throughout the season. And alas, we've gotten here. Um, It's taken a while. Would the Lakers have been on the other side of this equation and thinking, well, 
you know, Lakers just have to keep this pace so that they can they can keep New Orleans from catching them and they can keep Phoenix from catching them and stay in that mix with Denver and the Clippers. That Like, that's a difference of about five wins, which I do think had the Lakers figured out their rotations earlier um, that they could be in that spot. But ultimately, Pete, it's, it's about what that does from a playoff perspective is give you home court or not. And that's important, but it's not something that the Lakers can't overcome, which is what they did last year um, when they went into Memphis and when they, when they went into Golden State. And I think that the way that Denver was playing, even annoyingly so in the game last week, just hitting every clutch shot at the exact right moment, um, playing off of what Jokic is doing, uh, was was too high of a task uh, based on how little time that team had together. But uh, yeah, that 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 to me is a is a good segue into just previewing tonight's game pete utah they've lost a couple of key pieces olenic goes to toronto fontecchio we just saw last night in detroit uh, and akbaji also goes to toronto so they are back to playing some of our old friends such as tht um in that bench rotation they're asking more of kante george uh, they're asking more of walker kessler um and marketing to kind of take some of that uh, that burden that olenic had been had been sharing and I, I think there's they're a they're not as good of a team. Uh, they're playing Taylor Hendricks also, who's their rookie, and they want to try and um, and try and, and push him. But it's also a team that can absolutely beat anybody uh, in this type of a setting going in. So they're slightly weakened, but I I like where the Lakers are at mentally and the way and the style that they're playing. And I wonder, Pete, what you think the key to this game is for the Lakers. Running the floor is right near the top. It's similar to the Detroit game when they did go on their runs. It was because they got out into transition and Ivy and Thompson would detonate. Um, they've got a couple of young guys that can do that. Uh, I really like Keontae George as a scorer. They're a team that if you are not on top of your transition defense, if you're not on top of your rotations, they're definitely going to score with you. And and so they have, I think, the fifth best home record in the West. So on a night where the Lakers are on the second night of a back-to-back, yes, they're weakened. Yes, uh, you know, the Lakers are playing well, but this is a dangerous game. And I think that the vibes going into All-Star break could be very different depending upon the outcome of the game tonight. I don't know if it sends people completely off off track, but I definitely think that six out of seven feels a lot better than a loss to Utah. And in the bigger picture, this is exactly the kind of game you can't lose if you want to climb into that top six. Yeah, uh, this is uh, we could twist ourselves into the mental pretzel in this case where um, I was doing the radio show or the the game on radio last night in the pregame show. Um, Alan Sliwa asked me about basically that, like what what's the difference of perception over the All-Star break if you go in winning both these games? Not that they're must win, but he was kind of implying how important it was to keep it going. And I I actually pushed back in the sense that like. It's going to feel like emotionally on the outside, if the Lakers lose this game, it's going to feel like they took a step back, you know, mm-hmm. from from what they've been building in February. Whereas it may just be a schedule loss if they don't play well and they're tired and Utah comes out firing and hits a bunch of threes. And I'm not I'm not excusing that going in, Pete, but I don't think that it will set the Lakers back in terms of how they are playing and the what they figured out with five out and what the rotations are going to be. And like, I think those things can be picked up at Golden State after the break, whether the Lakers win this game or not. Uh, mm-hmm. From a from from like how what it, the impact on the standings. Sure. It's the same as any of the other games, but I'm that's at least how I feel about this one. I thought that the Detroit one was absolutely critically essential um, because had you had you dropped the ball there, not come out with the proper energy and Detroit beat you, 
then that would that that is like that's disaster because that's just not taking care of your own business. They took care of their business. Um, I think that they they have a lot of momentum going into this game, but I'm not going to I'm not going to have super strong feelings um, about this game, or at least I'm going to try going into it keeping a level head. Uh, is uh, is that fair or is that Pollyanna? I think that's totally fair, and you can toss on the fact that the game before All Star breaks, whether we like it or not, can certain players can have their minds in Cancun. And I remember uh, if you've been following me a long time. There was a D'Lo rant I went on in his second season where I was, and I was very pro D'Lo, but he had shot like one for two against the Phoenix Suns in the first half, just being very passive. And I was just like, shoot the ball. I went on this long old rant. That was the game right before the All-Star break. I remember that vividly. And so these can be some, some wonky games. That said, Mike, let's go out and get this W. I think AD is critical to that. Going to wrap up here, wrap up early. Uh, Let's get a win tonight going into All-Star break. We will be back to tomorrow to discuss. But until then, you've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. That next to the winner. It's on the way. Good. Yes. Bryant. 48 points, 16 rebounds, with his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed, a Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston, of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe, hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane, back for Gasol, pretty pass, and it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant, picked up by Bell. There's the move, two, one, miss it! It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant, yes! And that was a little tap to Albert Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. 
Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.